Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past, and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. Welcome to Growing Up Fire, Season 3, Episode 21, out here in Bridgetown, Nova Scotia with Kirsten and Ryan and myself. Kirsten's just pumped again to be here, big uh, all smiles, right? Kirsten, how you doing? I'm ready. You're ready. You're back, eh, Ryan? Yep. It's uh, been like a whole two weeks since you and I talked. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, this is, was a cool trip. We got to come out to Nova Scotia and work with the County of Annapolis to do all of their uh, fire departments. Uh, Sarah was here too, but had to take off early. So we missed her in the podcast, but I'm sure we'll fill in her stuff and uh, get it going there. So I want to talk a few things here in Nova Scotia doing in, uh, the eval tool. We've met up with a lot of our friends and seen a lot of things. Uh, and so we kind of want to talk a little bit about the eval tool and kind of what we do in each part of it is different for each one of us. Uh, and then talk a little bit about the fire services that we've been out here and what we've seen and, and things that are cool. For me, I'm going to start with Nova Scotia is one of the coolest places for me because of their mutual aid right and so i love nothing i love more than waking up 11 o'clock uh out here eight o'clock at home and see on my social media feed how nine fire departments did uh you know 14 trucks came and put out a house fire overnight and everyone's all pumped and high five and um so so that piece i love and you see that here and you hear them talk about it so ryan compared to the alberta mutual aid saskatchewan Manitoba, even places we work all the time um, you know, ours is more paid on call, more money driven. Uh, lots of places still do it for free, but not at the level that these guys do it. Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely an interesting system and the amount of ability to work together is definitely wild. I think, you know, they come together and just get the job done with as much as they possibly can. It seems like we talked a little bit today where I'm from mutual aid is not as much of a thing. We could work with the counties around us, but our department has five stations, so we don't really consider it mutual aid. They just come and help each other and we don't look at it like that. But there is a lot of places in Alberta, I think that could learn some things from out here and a lot of turf wars that happen and a lot of that's our call. That's whatever. Right. So out here talking to some of the fire chiefs, it was kind of like everyone wants to go to the fire and then afterwards they're kind of fighting on whose fire it is so that they don't have to do the paperwork and <laughs> follow up and do the rest. So it's pretty funny that way. Yeah, that, that part is always, uh, you can tell out here, there's another really cool piece in Nova Scotia. It's a uh, home of the, you know, the last pure volunteer, you know, almost every fire department is pure volunteer. No paid on call, no career or very few career people. If there is some career people, it's typically a coordinator or somebody that takes care of the hall and kind of drives the trucks and stuff. So that part's been cool as well. 
Kirsten, in our evaluation, one of the first pieces is to interview people, right? And it's kind of different levels and, and all of that stuff. But I got to tell you that when I watch people interview with you, it's like me being in front of my mom, five years old, and she says, what happened? And I just spill my guts completely. Tell her stuff that, you know, I didn't need to tell her and and those kinds of things. So what's it like for you to do those interviews and talk to so many, like you'll have talked to 50, 60 different firefighters this week? It's it's really good. I, I really, truly love that piece of it. And I think part of the reason why people are willing to talk to me as much as they are is because, well, for one, I'm a good listener. I listen to you all the day. So that is a key thing. Ouch. We're going to have Ouch. to take a break here, folks. We'll be right back. <laughs> But I, I, I mean, I also think that I'm genuinely very interested in their fire service and I want to know what's happening. And I think, you know, after 30 years of you being on the fire department and it being part of our family, I, I think people are surprised maybe sometimes that I, I understand the language and I know what they're talking about. And when I get engaged with it, it helps them loosen up and I, I, get, I get a lot of things told to me or talked to me about, right? I understand when I'm asking questions what the answer should be. And I think because of that, it, it gains a little bit of respect, right? And yeah, it's funny because we come on these things and you don't really want to talk fire that much at home, right? Like we talk, it's kind of boring, but you get here and you're like Billy Madison, all of a sudden you got like <laughs> 10 minutes, uh, you know, how does she know all that about, I mean, you've been to hundreds of fire departments with me to visit and uh, certainly we've done a ton of these now. But uh, that interview piece is always, I love how it, it cycles up, right? So the firefighter has a question, let's just say maintenance, you know, what uh, what do you do when you break something or found find something that's broken up to the officer? You know, what do you do when a firefighter tells you they found something, you know, then the chief, something something's broken and it's bad. What's your process from here, right? How do you get a new pump or how do you... Uh, you know, vehicles been in an accident or something. How do you deal with all that? <clears throat> and then there's the administrative pieces and, and all the other pieces that go with it. But is there ever anything that you just like your mouth almost drops open and they, did anyone ever rob a bank and tell you? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But we do get sidetracked sometimes. It, I, I mean, we start talking and all of a sudden a question leads to a story maybe theirs and a story of mine. And I will say that, yes, with Sarah here, she's much faster at doing the interviews than I was. <laughs> but I, I think it's because I've got experience with your guys's life and um, you guys being in the fire service for as long as you have and hearing those stories and being a part of them from a different side, right? So I, I think it's not just them opening up, right? I feel like we are gaining trust. We're developing friendships. We're making networks. And it's it's more than just an interview for me. That doesn't sound like firefighters telling stories. <laughs> no, not at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Ryan, you, you and I get a different piece of the puzzle, right? We do a lot of the evaluations, which are like the trucks and the fire halls and, and the site and all of the equipment and things like that. But... I really noticed this week, especially, you know, some of the older firefighters gravitating towards you, which is funny because you're you're not quite 30 years old yet. And you're hanging out with a guy that was probably in his 60s or maybe even a bit more a couple days ago. And so what are those conversations like? I think I gravitate towards them a little bit, too, just because it's it's cool for me to see where they came from. Right. Like a lot of. The firefighters, the younger firefighters are interested in our system and how it works and 
you know, maybe what the future is going to look like eventually out here. And it's kind of been changing across Canada. Right. So there's some of those conversations and they always, the young guys always want to know what it's like other places and stuff too. And I really like talking to the old guys because it's so interesting to to hear where they came from, right? Out here, it's not uncommon to see a guy that uh, does whatever, 50, 60 years on the fire department. And he was here when the fire department first started, or his dad was on the fire department for years before that. And he did 40 years and all of a sudden you're adding it up and there's 90 years straight of family in that one fire station and they can remember all the way back to when it was the first truck and you know I I can talk to people who remember the first fire truck that came to Slave Lake but that wasn't that long ago right out here it goes back to early 1900s 1800s in some of these places that their fire service has been around that long right so it's just it's cool to me I always kind of love to see the old buildings and uh, the history and stuff and uh we were driving around with a guy the other day and he was talking about balloon frame and I uh, kind of went on a little rant about, you know, I teach lots of 1001 and new firefighters and stuff like that. And they're always like, well, why, like, why do we have to learn about balloon frame? It was completely irrelevant where we're from, but out here, most of these buildings are balloon frame. And so it's kind of cool. It's some of that old, old style of construction and firefighting and stuff that you see on like the east coast in in america and just these places that are so much older than anything that we see out west you know i was standing in front of lawrencetown the other day lawrencetown nova scotia and on the fire hall wall it said established 1898 (laughs) and i was like that day i had my chestmere shirt on and you know chestmere turned into a career fire service and kind of came back from the county in 2013 (laughs) so you know you're you're talking to these guys that have hundreds of years of firefighting in their building it could add up over a thousand some of those buildings and and uh all that knowledge and all of that stuff and it was much different for them right 50 years ago nobody bought a pumper for a million bucks (laughs) nobody even knew what a million bucks was barely so you know it's it's changed a lot and then when we went to north queens the chief there you know, we were having a chat and he was, you know, like it always is, right? Firefighters are so gracious and so nice. And he's like, you should come to our banquet on Saturday. And my dad's going to get his 70 year award. And I was like, oh my God, your dad was on here for 70 years, right? And now he's almost 30 years and he's the chief. And, you know, it's just like, you can imagine what some of those conversations, right? And so that chief was great. He, You know, he said, what I love, we, we come back from a call and his dad still goes on the calls. And he said, you know, it's not, I don't like to be out in the bay watching everyone clean up and all that stuff. I like to see where my dad goes and who gathers around him to talk about, you know, what things used to be like and what it was like tonight and how it all comes together. Uh, and I think back to a lot of conversations, I guess, Ryan, that you and I have had like that, right? We're more than 25 years apart in age and, and we have a very different take on the fire service. Some might say, um, part of the old gray hairs and and you're the new up-and-comers but we don't always agree on everything but we that's okay because we have these great conversations yeah yeah and i think that's that's definitely you can imagine you know 70 years what the fire service looked like back when when he first started and how different 
like absolutely every single aspect is right. Like there, there is literally probably nothing the same that we did except for put the wet stuff on the red stuff about the fire service. Wow. So weird. (laughs) 70 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was, uh, we were in Margaretsville last night and the chief was talking about the new calves. Well, it's not new anymore, but when they got it, it was this new calf system. And he said, yeah, everybody said, why did you get that? And what a piece of junk. And then we went to our first vehicle fire and just crushed it. Right. And everybody. And so it's funny to me to have this guy that, you know, he's probably in his sixties talking about a calf system and how he had to get all the naysayers to shut up. And <laughs> um, it's uh it's funny. I don't know. So Kirsten, what do you see? Like you, we've interviewed now 30 of these places with multiple fire departments and so many of them and interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of firefighters and officers. What, what kind of patterns do you see out there? Hmm. Well, I mean, some of the things that I, we definitely see is that middle category moving from firefighter into officer piece I don't want to say is missing, but maybe is lacking, right? There might not be um, perfect training for them to step into that role, if that makes sense. Um, or maybe not, they, maybe it's about years of experience instead of specific training that they need to do. So, And that's something I see everywhere. Every time we do one of these, I see that's a piece missing. So uh, there's a lot of common things you know, little things that are happening everywhere in the fire service, right? That's just one that I can think of off the top of my head. But it's not like one problem is in one place and not others. They're, they're across the board. There's many of those things. And then the other way, there's things that are amazing everywhere we go, right? Like, I mean, there's never a doubt in my mind that when we walk into a fire hall and we start talking operations, the people that are there can go and fight a fire and do what they do operationally. They've always got that down pack. And I feel like no matter what hall we're at, that is always the way it is, right? So there's there's some great things too, right, that are always the same across the board. Well, this week's Fire Prevention Week, and we happened to be in Middleton when uh, the deputy chief's wife brought her little class of kids over. And, you know, to me, I was just laughing because it's like that fire prevention talk this week happened across this country at thousands and thousands of fire departments. And it probably sounded the same, plus or minus 10% in all of those thousands of fire departments. And the kids were loving it like they were going crazy it was high fives and smiles and so to me it's like it does there's all those connections to the fire service ryan let's switch a little bit here and talk uh, about the voting system so kirsten brought up the officers so moving from firefighter to officer we've had i don't know dozens and dozens of conversations about the voting system you know voting in new officers and and all of that stuff what was your take through all of this about that Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely a different system and it's something that I wanted to hear a lot of different opinions and perspectives. Uh, Again, conversations that came up with the old guys and and some of the young guys. I haven't worked for a fire service where we ever voted. I I know Slave Lake and and our areas and different stations used to, and I've heard you and and other older firefighters at our service talk about it, but I've never been a part of it. I think that it's a an older way of doing things, but at the same time, I think there is still some benefits maybe too, right? Like I understand why they hold on to it and I understand why that might be 
something that they find hard to have those conversations about where it is and where, where it's different in other places. But at the same time, you know, if, if someone's not doing a good job or can't commit, then it's maybe time for someone else to step up where I'm from. If, if somebody's having a, a tough go and they're not able to put in as much time or whatever, normally that has to get so bad that there's a conversation that has to happen. And often people don't want to step down from those roles. So it comes to a, a chief having to talk to them and have those hard conversations and stuff like that. So a little bit different, right? Uh, uh, we come from a service where it's a lot goes on experience still and uh, who's been around the longest. And it goes back to their just like mom said, across Canada, there really isn't good officer training programs, you know, um, NFPA 1021, you can say whatever you want about it. I won't give my opinions because. Go ahead. This nothing, is our podcast. We're allowed to do whatever we want. <laughs> there's nothing really good that I can say about it, but you know, it, it almost seems like there needs to be just like a, a basic and advanced level of officer boot camp or something that, you know, whether it's two days or four days or whatever, and, and, uh, or a certain amount of hours that they can do throughout training to get people to that level, because our system to promote to officer is very, very different than out here. But at the same time, we see some of those same struggles, even though the, the systems to become an officer are very different. And I think, you know, if you think back to our course, Practical Leadership that we developed, it, it was based on that premise, right? So you could take 21 and learn about budgets and they could give you the big talk about how to deal with people. But there was very little in that to give you actual practical skills to go out there and be a good instant commander, a good strategist, a good person to not micromanage and, and to learn all the things that go with this job. And I agree with you, it would be great, right? If you went to an officer boot camp right after you did it, but that's, so there you go. We've been talking about it all week, piling on the training to the volunteers who are now saying, you know what, I had enough. I, I don't want to train as much as you want me to. I don't want to get all the certifications that you want me to. Uh, everyone on here has heard me harping about 1001, right? Like when did that change that that's the only training that we could do, right? In-house training is still important. Skills maintenance is still important and and uh, setting training that we can one afford and two maintain is super important, right? There's still lots of room for certified training, right? As people get interest in knowledge and knowledge and move up in the fire service and move to career jobs and things like that, they need those those courses. But to take a brand new firefighter and throw them in their 1001 in their first year is you're basically holding their head while they're trying to surface, right? Yeah, and I think that's uh, a big piece that is definitely apparent uh, across Canada, not just out here. And there is so many differences in how the Nova Scotia Fire Service does it compared to the Alberta Fire Service. And we've got to see that all week, but there's so many similarities too, right? And across Canada to the place that I've got to go, there's so many like, we got our 1001. So we're firefighters and we're firefighters forever. And that that's so not true when it comes to you know being the best that you can be for the people that you serve it, it it always needs to be a work in progress right you look at any professional athlete or anything like that they don't just go to a hockey camp or make the nhl and then all of a sudden they're 
<laughs> just set for life, right? Yeah. Like you're constantly working on your skills, constantly making sure that you keep up on that stuff. And that's not something that's specific to Nova Scotia. That's just everywhere from, from coast to coast. And uh, I think, I hope that the nice part about our eval is, and I, I've had this conversation a hundred times this week, we come in and we look at where firefighters and fire departments are right now and how we can help them be better and how we can help them give them tools to continue to make themselves and their fire departments better. And I, that's the part that I love, love about coming out and doing jobs like this is we can actually give them tools and suggestions to continue to, to build themselves and uh, continue to be better. I think that's one of the pieces that I love. And I was talking to a CAO today, we're close to the same age, telling stories about our moms chasing us around with the paddle and, and uh, the old corporal punishment that uh, we maybe didn't get that often, but got threatened of. Kirsten's smiling because I know she got threatened or maybe even beat once or twice with the same (laughs) paddle. But uh, (laughs) at the end of the day, it's, I love to connect in those groups, but I also like to, like you say, talk to the older ones and talk to the younger ones. You know, so Kirsten, we've been to, I think it was 513, maybe 514 today, different fire halls. And so on this trip, we've seen, I think, 11 new ones. Did you see anything that sticks out, cool things or or things that you want to talk about during that uh, trip? Wow. Put me on the spot. Always. (laughs) Always. My job. Uh, Yeah. You know what? Uh, I mean, I think when we come out here, one of my favorite things to see in Nova Scotia and in other parts of Canada, but not Alberta, is the history that we get to see in the fire halls. I, I do love that piece. And I love how they make sure all past chiefs are on the wall and the the pride of the history here is amazing to me. So that is always something that sticks out because you just don't see that maybe as much as you would in Alberta. And you might see the previous chiefs, but you know what I mean? Like you just don't have the same history. So that's always a an amazing piece. And then, I mean, there's nothing better than going to a fire hall that's in one of the most beautiful locations. Like, I mean, there's some fire halls that we've been to this week that like the scenery around it and... Yeah, like basically everyone. <laughs> exactly. Like it's such a beautiful setting. And then, I mean, we get to Port Lauren and the ocean is right there and you you have to drive through this crazy road. And of course, we're going up there in the dark and coming home in the dark. And I'm like, where are we going? And, and then all of a sudden you pop out and there's a, you know, a little community with a beautiful little fire hall again, in this beautiful setting. And so those are things that, like I said, you don't really get to see. So though, you know me, I'm a sunset girl, sunrise girl. Those are things I always want to see no matter where I am. And you, so, you definitely so funny, want to. Sarah was, was going out with the firefighters a few nights and she talked about coming back and seeing, you know, they weren't quite dolphins, but something similar to a dolphin yeah. out in the cove and and uh, seeing a few sunsets and and things like that. I don't think we made it to any sunrises, but um, one thing I really noticed is when the lights go out here, the Start. lights go out. Like, hey, Nova Scotia, invest in some street lights. <laughs> Holy <laughs> man. It's very dark. Oh, the highway intersections and, the you know, you drive anywhere at night here. Like, I can see why they bunker down at night and aren't driving around. And it, it's compared to where we live, you couldn't get away from the lights. It's dark here. Yeah, I, I came, I mean, driving from Edmonton to Slave Lake is definitely dark and there's not. But, um, you know, you come... I landed at Halifax and I, around the city, it's, it's pretty light and whatever. And then you get out here and you start coming And The difference here is their highways, 
or their main highway is kind of like an interstate, like no towns are the, the, the big highway doesn't go through any towns. You just drive. So you don't see anything. There's still trees everywhere. You, you, right. So when you're going along, it's just so dark. And I think of driving like Edmonton to Calgary in the middle of the night at 2 AM. And it's just like lit up everywhere. Cause every intersection has massive traffic lights. And there's certain areas that just have traffic lights on in the middle of the night, <laughs> all the way along for kilometers and kilometers. And I came out here and I think the first thing I said to you guys is, holy man, it's dark in this province, <laughs> right? Like trying to find find this Airbnb on a dark back road in the middle of the night. And thank goodness there was some service and the GPS worked because I don't know if I would have found it if it wasn't for, uh, for that. It's amazing. Cause you mention it and they're just like, Oh really? I, you know, it's, it's <laughs> what they're used to. They don't, uh, yeah. They don't notice. Probably when they come to Alberta, they're like, Hey, Alberta, turn the lights off. So it's, it's funny. Those differences, for me, a couple of fire hall things that stuck out had to be like Bear River when we went for the breakfast and you could see that community support and mm. and that's it's a fairly old fire hall, but just the love and attention that it gets. And then you go out into the back parking lot and look over and uh, right there's buildings that are built on stilts over top of the water, you know, where the the tide comes in and out and these things are hanging out over top of the water. And then when you drive by on the street, you're like, that, that's those buildings like those are literally <laughs> over top of water right i mean that had to be cool when we were at the north queen site it was a a site that was chosen because an old sawmill used to be on there so they were talking about all the sawdust that's in the lake and how it's kind of wrecked the lake and how their site has some troubles because it's where they used to process all the wood so that was cool some of those history comes alive right you just forget how long the european settlers have been here now right and then we went to uh, a first nation one day and, and it was uh it was one of the nicest ones i've ever been at it was beautiful clean well set up great houses pretty small you could tell that they've had uh, some luck keeping up and uh you know to think while i was standing there that those folks have been here for forever and and then they saw all of this change through all of the things, all of the wars that came and the different cultures and the, you know, what, what is Nova Scotia, right? Like there's, there's different chunks that are French and English and, and first nation. And, and so, uh, I don't know, I just had a moment of pause when I was up there to, to just be like, wow, can you imagine the changes? A lot of places, you know, grew up in Slave Lake, Alberta, really was only a town since the sixties. Right. And so I'm sure a lot of people saw it before with the fur trade and, and uh, first nation folks that live there, but there's not no pictures from back then. Right. And so you struggle to wonder what it was like. And here somehow the history is alive. You see it on the murals, you see it hanging in the, you know, in the fire hall, they had pictures going back to almost the early 1900s there. And so I think those things stuck out to me. How about you, Ryan? What did you see? I think that the two biggest things is just the the raw passion that every firefighter shares, right? And and some of it is maybe good and some of it's maybe stuck in an old way or whatever, but at the same time, like it it's just it's so alive and well here and those people that have been around for so long, right? Um a lot of the fire halls that I've been to, you can't walk in and see half the membership have over 20 years of service anymore. Like we're from a place where you don't even hear of that 
40, 50, 60 years of service, barely ever, right? And here, most of their membership is that way, right? And and all these people telling these stories of, you know, yeah, I started as a junior when I was 14 years old and now they're, you know, young, like I'm going to be in 35 years old and they're the deputy chief and they've been on for 25 years already, right? And um, some of that's really cool. The other thing is the adaptability and the way to just like that they overcome things. Uh, we went to one fire hall and you said that you hadn't seen it at 500 and however many fire halls and they pull in and they take the air brakes off and they chalk the wheels. And we're like, what? Like, there's no, why, how? And they, uh, they explain it to us and we sit down and they're like, yeah, we're going through brake drums, the salt on the roads. This is a fire hall that's right across from the ocean, right? Yeah. The, 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 it's in the air. You can smell it everywhere you go. And they said, as soon as we made that change, it was a, a thing that everyone was on board with. We made the change and we went from replacing drums on our trucks once a year to not having to replace drums on these trucks since. And it's just like, if it works, then do it. And you can make it work, then that's awesome, right? And it's just something that obviously they saw a need. Somebody thought of a different way to do it and they did it. And, you know, like you said, out of 515 fire departments now, you've never seen that. But for this place, it works really well. And they immediately saw a positive change that helped them save money where they could put money into other places. Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres emergency vehicle. This is our mission, to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres emergency vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. It was funny because just this week, it's those curious things, right? So the one fire hall, they took all the door openers years ago because the chief thought they were moving too fast and getting things. And then I went to like the oldest fire hall a few days later, and they just this week put in brand new door openers <laughs> so they could get the doors open smoother and with less troubles. And so, you know, it's, I often say that, right? If we had 400 fire halls, we'll run them 500 different ways. And that is alive and well, no matter where you go. So when you get to see 11 fire halls and kind of deep dive into them in a week, well, a couple of weeks, it's cool to see that where you're just like, you know, they made a decision and stuck with it and there's nothing wrong with that decision. And then the exact opposite decision got made and there's nothing wrong with it. They, they decided what they decided. To me, that's a, a very curious piece of the fire service that we can't uh, be more aligned. Yeah, I think it's lots of different places you go and we run it, you know, maybe 50% the same way because that's just firefighting. And then the other 50% is very open to who was there at that time or the conversations that got had or the problems that they overcame, right? And again, going back to that, it just shows that 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 firefighting mentality is alive and well and there's a problem and we see it and we talk about it and we fix it and find a solution for a problem and all of a sudden it's working, right? So... So Kirsten, I'm going to jump back to you because another big part of your job is document review. Yes. Right. And so, you know, most of the places we go, there's not really set procedures and policies and, and things to do. But what gets me is that every night when you come home and the team debriefs, you talk about, well, they had most of what they had to have. Right. And so 
it just is so curious to me that so many fire chiefs are out there with their Excel spreadsheet, kind of making their own paperwork and doing what they have and, and how, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of all adds up within about 20% of each other. Like there's all of these people creating all of their own paperwork and they're, you know, pretty well getting it right. That is very much how it is. Even today, when, you know, when we got to the fire hall, the chief was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have all your stuff. And, you know, I looked at the list and I said, oh, you're going to have it. I said, it will be fine. I said, you might just call it something different. And at the end of the day, he's like, you're right. I just don't call it what you call it. I'm like, I told you, you know, and uh, we go through and I, I mean, that's a piece that I love too, because I find when I ask for documentation, especially this last week, I've really noticed it is even the pride in their fire service is also in what they're doing in their documentation, right? They want to, you know, nobody has just handed me the paper and said, here you go, you review it. They're like, oh, can I tell you about it? Here's what I pulled out for you. And, you know, this is what we do for this. And um, so that piece is really nice as well. And like I said, it might not be called what I'm calling it, but I most of it is there, right? And I really noticed that here. I mean, maybe in Alberta, we have a set way we're going to call things, but uh, you come to different provinces and it's not the first time we've done that. You know, it's different in Saskatchewan, it's different in Manitoba, but I find lots of times the paperwork is there. It's still, just... Still gets done. Still gets done. I, I, I had a laugh last night. The, there's a couple of people that came and met us earlier on and we did some interviews and I started on my thing and the chief was working out of town. So he got back and he came to the fire hall and he had this big box that was sitting there. They took out <laughs> And uh, as a big like banker's box and mm. he comes in and he says, oh, she hasn't done anything with this yet. And I said, no, I think uh, she might've got some already or she'll, she'll talk to you and get some pictures and stuff. And he just looked defeated and I said, what's wrong? And he said, I dug all this out and put it in a box for you guys. I said, well, we are going back to Alberta and I don't think she could take 11 boxes from 11 different <laughs> fire departments back with us. Yeah. Sooner later, would have to help out with that. Yeah. <laughs> He, he was impressed, though, that I actually stopped and looked at it. When when he realized I hadn't actually looked at it yet and we went through it together, he's like, oh, I'm glad I did pull this out and I didn't, <laughs> you know. So, oh, can yeah. you imagine what yeah. a waste that would be if we didn't look yeah, at it? Yeah, no, My of goodness. course. You want to go through all of it. So it's good. The, uh, it, and it is. I mean, it's a list that scares them. When you send it, it would scare anybody to look at that list. But One of the funny things somebody asked me, they emailed me back after I had sent them an email with the documentation list and they're like, how many years back do you need me to go? And I'm like, oh, my goodness please don't but funny last night they were like we do you want to look at our general meeting minutes because we have minutes like back to 1979 i'm like i'm good i don't need to see that <laughs> yeah we're, i'm we're not okay. that good of a reader i can't read that fast <laughs> yeah exactly no it's true yeah it, it's just uh all of those little pieces kind of pull together to show you what everybody's doing right and, and I think there's another one of those common things. There's, you know, there's too much paperwork and we're just volunteers. And I work with guys who get paid every day and they still complain that there's too much paperwork. And so at the end of the day is, uh, I always say it's like coming up with procedures and having all the paperwork for them. Yeah. Every fire firefighter I know can crush a checklist. Like we're the absolute best at checklists. <laughs> You know, so it's just providing basically those checklists and the things to fill out and do. And it's funny because, you know, we're very automated in Chestermere and Ryan, you've got a bunch of programs and you guys are very automated as well. But you look back to the paper system and guess what? Works awesome. Fits in a banker's box and 
the only problem becomes where do I put these hundred bankers boxes? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I remember back when I started Slave Lake was still very paper, right? Like we did our paper checklists and we did paper training nights and we did, and we still have some paper because we just haven't found something that works as good. And it, we might never find something that works as good. And we, we look at all these systems and we've changed systems, you know, probably more times than we should since I've been there and <laughs> added systems that are going to help and you, all of this. You guys stuff. all heard it. It's his fault. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Right. And, and we've, uh, but it still takes time right? Like you still have to go on a computer. You still have to write it all in. You still have to like, at the end of the day, whether you're writing it with a pen on an incident report narrative or filling out a training report of who was there or what you did or whatever, like it, it still takes time. It's still there. The computers have just as much issues, right? Uh, you know, one day you're trying to do a training report after practice and there's 20 firefighters out there doing truck checks and all of them are on their phones and all of them are connected to Wi-Fi, and your computer crashes and right. Like there's good and bad of all of it. And it's going to take time no matter what right and you know i'm the same i work with guys that you know we have some some pretty slick systems they still take a long time but they still love to complain about it i love to complain about it right because <laughs> it's just that piece that uh you know it's not the the glam that we all signed up for uh, in yeah. this profession we're not saving any lives with this tablet right now <laughs> yeah um, no it's true right but at the end of the day all of that stuff's also important because it's what keeps us safe and so it's funny to go through all the different parts of it right all right. So, so the next thing I want to talk a little bit is the community hazard assessment. And so we split into two teams one day, you and Ryan went and Sarah and I went and went to different locations to get the community hazard started. And, and for me, like one of the things that stuck out immediately, one of the questions on the community hazard assessment is how many three story or more wood buildings are there? And, and there's just thousands of old Victorian homes that are three stories out here. So I got sick of taking pictures of that. But then you get into these areas where, you know, you're driving along the highway and all of a sudden the Sobeys warehouse is there. This monster warehouse is just kind of off the highway in the middle of nowhere. Or uh, we went to the the seaweed plant. I can't remember what it's called. Cornwall. Sea, sea plant. Yeah, yeah. Sea plant, I sea think. Plant. Sea plants. And I'm like, well, what do they do there? And they're like, well, they take seaweed and turn it into food and fertilizer and and I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like I never really heard of that, right? And so that was cool. And uh, so on the community hazard assessment, I guess the question is, and and uh, we'll start with Kirsten. What did you see out there that that kind of shocked you, I guess, considering we're in rural Nova Scotia? Well, when Ryan took me to Cornwallis yesterday, I was very, very surprised how much was there, right? Like I... I mean, you pass the signs, you know, but I didn't realize the base had been there. And I, that was definitely uh, one of those things that surprised me. Also, one of the most beautiful places. When you get up into those hills and you look down onto the ocean, I could have stayed there. <laughs> so that that was quite surprising to me. But also, like, the roads to get places here really, really... I don't want to say they surprise me, but they're very different than what we're used to, right? Like, um, you know, you're driving anywhere. I find the houses are very close to the roads. The roads are not as wide. Um, the speed limits are not as slow. <laughs> like, you know, they're slow, but they're not. Yeah, you're going you're, by someone 10 feet from someone's front door doing 90K. Yeah, right? So <laughs> every time we come to Nova Scotia, that kind of surprises me, right? And like I said, when we went out to Port Lauren the other day, 
I was very surprised at how windy and up and down and around. And it reminded me of being in BC in the mountains, but there's no mountains, right? Well, so there, there kind of is, right? Well, I mean, that's yeah. kind of the topography. Yeah. It's more like the rolling foothills of yeah. Alberta, but, yeah. uh, but with a windy there, road. Certainly, and, you'll be at the top elevation and at the bottom of that next windy road, you're at the shore looking out over the ocean, right? Yeah. So For sure. And we did the community hazard assessment, I think it was in Middleton. And I was surprised at how many small apartment buildings there were. Like there's a lot of, you know, maybe six apartments or 10 apartments that are three stories. So I was surprised at that. I mean, I'm never surprised to see the big, beautiful Victorian houses. You expect that out here. But yeah, like... I guess lots of that student housing, right, from the different colleges. Yeah, they have right. Every so, for sure. It's, uh, you know, the roads, I just wanted to come back to that. The the highways that go down the core are amazing, right? Like Absolutely. It's dark, but they're out there and, and uh, there's lots of space, lots of passing lanes, lots of opportunity to stay safe. Pretty straight, pretty flat compared to you get off those big main roads and it's kind of the windy country roads. Yeah that you come to expect. They tell us there's not a lot of accidents here, so <laughs> yeah. everyone uh, obviously knows what they're doing. But yeah, it's very different. So Ryan, how about you? You're out there doing community hazard assessments. Did you see anything that kind of blew your mind? Yeah, I, you know, I will say on the Cornwallis thing, I one of the cool things, I was, again, another older gentleman today, and he actually, uh, I brought up Cornwallis and, and the stuff that was going on, and he took his basic training there in the 70s. So that was really cool. I stopped everything I was doing and listened to him for probably 20 minutes talk about just how cool it was going to basic training and stuff there. And that was that was really neat. Just, you know, walking with the rucksack back and looking out over that beautiful. And I was just marking down minus 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he told us that a couple of years ago, they went to Cornwallis, him and his wife, and they stood down on the beach and he said, you know, I didn't know there was a beach there. And my wife put it on Facebook and all my buddies from basic were like, there's a beach there, but they weren't allowed to go there, right? There were certain areas that all the recruits weren't allowed to go to. So it was really cool to just sit there and listen. But uh, yeah, I think for the community hazard assessments, obviously, like I look at every building like it's going to be on fire at some point. And, and there's some that definitely scare the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the ground ladder throws that you'd have to make because two Victorians are five feet apart and you're up to a third story, especially in some of these places that don't have ladder trucks, even with those big buildings. The balloon frame was a good big one. You could see the different kind of key indicators on the outside of the building. And you're just like, wow, there's like, once we had that conversation, there's a lot here. The Cornwallis was really cool because of the big H style, right? Just very different because it's a military base, not used to that where we're from. And uh, yeah, and the, then just their ability to change things and keep making it work, right? In Alberta, we just, one business ends and we want to build something and we might use one old shack, but we rip the rest down and build a brand new building. Today, someone was telling us about a, a factory that used to be a place where they made wood toys. And then they shut it down and now it's a big storage and manufacturing place for like oils and, and all kinds of hazardous materials and stuff like that. And we're just like, whoa, what? Like they just <laughs> reuse, you know, one build, one company goes under or they sell out or whatever. And then the next person moves in and they just make it work. Right. And all these big Victorian homes, they've compartmentalized them and now they're Airbnbs or bed and breakfasts and stuff like that. Right. And it's just like, you drive by this house and you're like, that's a really big house. And you know that back in the day they built it just for one family, but now there's eight different suites in there and all things that, you know, come back to the fire service and you go, Whoa, like how many are in there? And and then totally the, the amount of apartments, buildings, the small little apartment buildings, you know, I'm from a place that probably has 10 apartment buildings in the whole town. All of those apartment buildings are huge and fit lots of people. 
But then you come here and it's a town of 1300 people and they have probably 20 apartment buildings, right? Maybe less occupancy, but all three-story wood frame, pack lots of people in there. They're all super old, right? So just totally different hazards and uh, making it work. eh? I think we all saw like um, hundreds of massive churches, but we probably saw a dozen like church conversions too, right? Where they turn it into a store or a residence or, or whatever. Um, that that's always crazy, right? Because you know, if you went into that person's house, they have thirty foot ceilings in there, right? Like you're you're just like whoa. So you know that's cool. The fire hall in Cornwallis, yeah, the old base fire hall they turned into a lives in part of it and runs a store at a part of it. That's right. every little firefighter's dream yeah. to buy an old <laughs> right. fire hall and turn it into a bar or a house yeah. or a yeah. shop or a whatever. Um, then I was in Margaretsville and they had the old theater. They redid it all and got it all. And so you're driving around, it's kind of like older buildings. And then you get to this, like, it looks like beautiful 150 person theater where they run concerts and plays. And and you're just like, wow, this is awesome. Like, you know, yeah, in the summertime, people come out and the concerts are great here and the sound is great. I didn't expect that, right? It's I'd also driven by like a one room house just before that. And now you're looking at this big, beautiful theater, right? Annapolis Royal had a lot of old buildings, uh, you know, had the causeway where the water was going through and all that foam where the water gets whipped up. I mean, I don't think any of us expected that kind of stuff. We're like, holy man, look at there's ice on the... I did a Wait double a minute. take. That's dirty ice. That's not the right <laughs> stuff, right? Um, and, and there's a place where like the houses are literally 10 feet from the road. You basically park a car on the side of the road, jump out of your door and you're in your house. I told Ryan today we went, when I was driving by myself to Middleton the other night to do my interview, I drove by a shop, like a car tire shop or something, and they had all the bay doors open and there was so many cars parked. They were trying to do whatever, you know, whatever work they needed to do, but it was so packed in the parking lot. They were like impinching onto the street and I kind of had to go around. And I mean, you do see that, right? Like there's such a combination of the old and the new. And maybe Kingston is the best version of that, right? Like you've got the base that has old, old buildings, but new buildings. The, you know, the commercial district that has brand new stores and brand new restaurants and fast food places. And then, but then you can be driving in a neighborhood where it's like old house, new house, old house, new house, you know? And so to me, that was a place where we went, where it was like, wow, there's there's a lot of different um, styles of houses, commercial retail. The base makes it interesting. We saw the big museum there. Even their new subdivisions, like behind Annapolis Royals Fire Hall there, we drove through there the other day with the chief and it, it's just different, right? Like it's different than what we're used to. There's more space, it feels like. The type of construction is different. We drove by a brand new house with cedar shakes and I'm like, that would not fly where I'm from, right? Like just all kinds of stuff like not, that. Not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. But they yeah. used to make them. Yeah, huh? yeah. So, you know, just the, and it, it's all about what's readily available, right? How they build houses, what what goods are here, what construction companies are available, stuff like that, right? True. And, and then, I mean, then you go into areas, uh, North Queens, Springfield, That that's kind of like driving out to Smith in, in Northern Alberta, right? Like, there's 60 kilometers of bush and their logging trucks are blowing by you and you see sawmills set up in people's backyards where they're cutting timber for something and and uh you know you pop out and there's these fire big fire halls that are helping out these massive tracts of land 
lots of travel, lots of, so, you know, more flashbacks to the northern parts of the prairies. So no matter where you go, it's just this kind of amazing, cool combination of how people live out here. Um, and I think that that's a, an excellent part of our evaluation is that we get to look at that and go out there and, and check that stuff all out. All right. So as we kind of come to a close, we got a few more places over the next couple of days and we start to think about how we're going to write these reports and what we're going to do and what we're going to say, which is it's kind of always a cool part for me. So Kirsten, I'll go to you first. Is Is that the part that you love or is that where it starts to get scary? Well, to be very honest, before we got here, I was panicking a little bit because, but with four of us, it definitely, many hands make light, light work. So that was good. And once I got here and I got to start talking to people, I'm a planner. If you guys didn't know that about me and I, I didn't have things planned the way I wanted. Don't say so you didn't know she'll call you and start planning your mm-hmm. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that pre-travel agent world. Right. <laughs> um, so, but once we got here and we started to be able to say, okay, we're going to come to this fire hall on this day. And you know what? I, it just, fell into place and I was starting to feel a lot better about it. And I don't think I'll actually start to panic too much until I get home and actually start looking at things and thinking, okay, now I have to put this all together and make it, you know, make, make it a final product. And I, I don't worry about it because I definitely know while we've been here, we've got the information that we needed, but I, I do worry that maybe it's not quite enough or, you know, it's going to take time is more than anything. So that always panics me a little bit but we'll get through it we always do ryan i think the total will be around 50 fire apparatus that we've had to do yeah um, (laughs) over the last 10 days it all kind of swirls into one big beating of red fire trucks did you see any that you love see any that were different see anything cool or unusual or at this point now is it just kind of Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just they're all very different, but at the same time, they're all so similar at, at, you know, in the same breath. I I think that every fire hall, because they're the associations out here and there's not as much municipal input, they, you can see where they saw a need, they got together with their group and they just made it happen. And maybe sometimes that's fundraising and buying brand new equipment. Sometimes that's buying equipment secondhand from other places and making it happen. Right. So many different variations of rescue trucks and engines and tenders and oh, tankers out here um, and all that, uh, all that piece. Right. So very cool. You know, I, one thing that I do love is there's a lot of rescues. And when I first got here, I was like, there's a lot of rescues for the amount of MVCs they have. But the cool part about a lot of their rescues is they're not just rescues, right? They, they make them like a utility vehicle that has lots of jobs. So, you know, when you come to a fire and you're a little bit later and you get back and all that's left is the rescue. A lot of them have big portable pumps with a whole bunch of hose. So the rescue crew is the crew that jumps in and goes straight to a water source and they know what water source they're going to that's closest to the fire and they set up the portable pump and, and they're the portable pump crew and they're filling up tenders. Right. And then it goes to different fires and different rescues go there and, and pretty much all their rescues have SCBA or SABA bottles in it somewhere that can fill SCBA. And so they're like an air light or a support unit for at structure fires. And some of them had rip packs on them and some of them, right. So they don't just use them kind of, I guess, more so like we use our rescue trucks where it's more MVC rescue specific uh, pieces like that. They 
got rescues. But once I got there and I started looking through there and I'm like, oh, okay, well that, that makes sense, right? Like it, they're not just using them as rescues. This is a truck that has a whole bunch of tools on it and can support in a whole bunch of different fashions. And I remember the first rescue I opened, I'm like, there's a portable pump on here. That doesn't make sense. But then I look and it's like in a fire hall that has a utility truck. It's kind of just a person mover and some medicals, a tanker and an engine. So once those trucks are gone and there's only, you know, eight seats in those trucks or 12 seats in those trucks, now they can take it and the rescue crew grows and they're still a part of, instead of just using the big fancy rescue to go and park on scene, there's so many other things that they can use it for to assist in that overall picture. Yeah, it's cool, right? Like it's a bit of a grind because it's fire truck, fire truck, fire truck, fire truck. Um, but But it is cool to see how, you know, all right, they got this many wheels, they got a pump, they got a steering wheel, they got headlights, they got scene lighting, they got, right? And so although there's many, many, many different builders, they, you know, it's a similar product at the end. And so uh, when you go through and try to figure out, so one of our jobs is to try and figure out how many trucks and which kind and where they, you know, and, and kind of give our opinion on that. But it's tough because it, it's really important to do that community hazard assessment and get those levels of service and kind of, you know, what are, what are you going to do? I would have never guessed in Nova Scotia that they'd have to move as much water as they have to, right? That they have to draft and they got so many dry hydrants and, and uh, that their tanker program, their tanker shuttles are like every fire. Even in some of the towns, the, you know, the water system will be four or five streets, maybe 10 streets, but it's not everything and it doesn't go into the country very and some of it hundreds of years old just like the houses right so we heard them say like you know yeah use it for fires but be careful and don't pull too hard and right we heard more stories here about them using hydrants and actually bursting water mains than i've ever heard of before but older infrastructure right like it's just some of that stuff even if you do those massive upgrades and stuff there's still pieces of that system that have been in there for probably a lot longer than anything that we've seen yeah, it'll be interesting to get home and start writing, the, you know, as it is today, executive summary stuff and then start to look at the vision documents about, you know, how do you how do you figure it out? This will be a cool one because this is one of the ones where um, one of the reportings is to if we started the fire service today, knowing what we know today, would it look <laughs> which would obviously be quite different than the current state. So it'll be interesting to go through that try and figure it out right and to see what that looks like and then to come back to reality and say okay add in all the politics and the money and the fact that we're don't want to close a bunch of fire halls and how are we going to make this all work and so and that's a cool piece i think anywhere you go right like any any service you go to if you were if you had that magic wand like you say and you're starting the fire service from scratch with what you have right now I think all of our fire services would look quite different, right? It's Well, they would all. I I would hope that they would all look different. And the three wishes is one of my favorite things. And But I got to tell you, out of this, there was probably four or five groups of officers in the community hazard assessment truck with me that didn't use all their wishes. Very grateful group for what they have. Very grateful for what they have, right? And, And willing to make do with what they got. And in some cases, very unbelievable trucks and equipment and in some cases not so much right and so it's just cool to be surrounded by that for as many days as we have been i think it's hard to not go back to slave lake into chestmere and and not be a little more thankful for what you have and to be a little more interested in looking at your own system and say hey like are we doing all the right things or did we just get on a path where 
you know, we did what we did because that's how we do it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming out here to Nova Scotia with me. And uh, Kirsten, good luck with your 200 million hours of reporting <laughs> that you have to do after. Yeah, we finish up tomorrow, so it'll be cool to, you know, we all fly out at different times and get home. But looking forward to seeing what happens, all the good stuff and all the good hopes for the county of Annapolis and all of the fire departments associated to that. And, you know, for everyone that's listening uh, from the county of Annapolis, thanks for having us out. Thanks for being so gracious and and uh, showing us everything and, and sharing your history with us. I think that uh, when you come to this old part of the country, uh, to me, the number one takeaway is just how much history got shared with me. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Meeting new friends. Hey, that's it. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.